This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the National Lacrosse League Awards are being announced every day, and they've been met with some mixed reviews. NLL Championship goaltender Mike Poulin of the Georgia Swarm is doing the media rounds down in Hotlanta. He'll check in. As will Vancouver Stealth General Manager Doug Law. Plus, free agency is coming up. Who's going to go where? All that more on OTCB. Hello, hello again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, and my dog, Bear, who just happens to be in studio with me today. Uh, Welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner. If you want to get a hold of me, you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter, at Off the Crossbar. Love to hear from you. Always enjoy chatting with fans. Because this is a interesting time of the year, um, always open for open for some interesting and off the chart or off the wall or off the cuff conversations. Uh, we've had some talks with some people about um, guys in free agency where they might go. Uh, we're going to get into that a little bit later. Uh, we've talked about draft picks. We've talked about NLL awards. We're definitely going to get into that in a little bit. Um, we've talked about everything. So. Uh, if you're out there, you're on Twitter, you're on your email, uh, shoot me a line. would love to hear from you. And uh, maybe let me know who you're cheering for in the WLA or the MSL or over the summer. And we'll just have a little chat. And that's kind of what this podcast is all about. Just having little chats. As mentioned, we will talk with General Manager of the Vancouver Stealth, Doug Locker, and Mike Poulin uh, of the Georgia Swarm. But first, we have to talk about the National Lacrosse League Awards. Now... I need to put this out there first. I am super happy for all of the guys that have won awards so far, all the guys that will continue to win awards as this week plays out and we get into July 2nd when the last award is going to be announced. And this is not a knock on any of the guys who have won or have been nominated. You cannot ever take away the accolades that people have obtained. And for everybody that has been nominated, congratulations. And all the guys that have won, again, congratulations. So in saying that, let's kind of break all of this down. For those that don't know, every National Lacrosse League team gets two votes at the end of the year voting. Essentially, they get one for their general manager and one for their head coach. So as it works, there are nine teams in the National Lacrosse League which equates to 18 votes. And unfortunately, how depending on how you look at it, 10 of those votes are from the Eastern teams. Makes sense. Simple math. Five Eastern teams, four Western teams. Now, sometimes that can make a bit of a skewed playing field because, as it were, more Eastern guys will most likely get votes. And as it's often been, teams will always vote for their guy. And there's no surprise in that. That's not anything new. And when teams vote for their guy, at least with one of their votes, generally the second vote that they give is oftentimes a throwaway vote. And... 
I don't mean it in a disrespectful way as a throwaway vote, but I have been told by numerous people, players and personnel, that they know firsthand that their team's general manager has voted one of their votes for their guy, and then the second vote went for a guy that had no chance in winning. So as to kind of pump up the value of that first vote. And it kind of tarnishes everything that goes on with the votes. Because as Paul Tutka wrote in a great article on Inside Lacrosse, or it was actually Island or back in the day, this was, sheesh, almost seven years ago probably. Um, he wrote on the uneven playing field of the voting category. And it continues as it was back then and it is now. It has often become a popularity contest. More so, people voting for their own guy and then hoping someone else will vote for their guy. And when the West split votes, oftentimes the East reigns supreme because more chances to get votes from more West, or sorry, more Eastern general managers. So when the first series of awards came over, the first three nominees, it was goaltender of the year. It was Dylan Ward, Mike Poulin, and Nick Rose. I didn't have any issues with those three. Sure, you probably could have put Mike Poulin in there for maybe Nick Rose. I'm okay with that too. And Dylan Ward winning, I'm absolutely fine with. And from what I've been told, he got a majority of the votes. Now, another thing that I haven't taken issue with, this is a bit of an aside, is that the National Lacrosse League doesn't make the vote tally public. Now, again, it's only 18 votes. It's not a large amount of votes. You could just put out the percentages, and I'd be okay with it. And the reason I say this is because during the NHL awards, every time a vote was announced... It was either Elliot Friedman or one of the other high-end hockey scribes was posting the list of nominees and what the voting breakdown was. Just like Stephen Stamp did with the Inside the Cross end-of-the-year votes. And, you know, they would list all the guys that were nominated, who got first place, second place, third place, fourth and fifth place votes. You didn't have to say who voted for who. You just had to say who was voted and what different votes they got. There's no harm in that. So Dylan Ward got a majority of the goaltender votes, which was a pretty safe bet. And then came out Defensive Player of the Year awards. And inside lacrosse, almost unanimously voted for Matt Beers. And then... When the three nominees came out, he wasn't even in the top three. And Jason Noble from the Swarm ended up winning, beating out Steve Priolo of the Buffalo Bandits and Graham Hosick of the Rochester Nighthawks. Now, again, this isn't a knock on Jason Noble winning the award. Congratulations, because... It is an incredible accomplishment for Jason Noble to win this award. With all the incredible defenders that are in this league, that's a great accomplishment. 
But the concern with a lot of people was, one, Matt Beers wasn't nominated. But two, nobody from the Rush, which is arguably the best, one of the best defenses in the entire National Lacrosse League, weren't even on the list. Has Kyle Rubish dropped that far off the radar that he's not even in the top three when he won it three years in a row? Or Ryan Dilks? Or Chris Corbeil? What about all the guys in Colorado? What about some of the D guys in Toronto? If there was a lot of great guy, guys who had great years and weren't nominated. And a lot of that has to do with the way the voting system works. Then we go to transition player of the year. And the three nominees were Brody Merrill, Jay Thornbear, and Jordan McIntosh. And it had me scratching my head a thousand times over of how Justin Salt, who was easily the best two-way guy in the National Lacrosse League this year, again, not even nominated in the top three. It just blows my mind. And, you know, people start to wonder, oh, maybe the Eastern GMs don't stay up late to watch Western games. Well, that's just a farce because they, all the GMs watch all of the games, trust me. They can go back and watch them on demand. That's not the reason. The reason is because of the way this voting system works. And my simple solution is, well, there's two. Either don't leave the votes to the teams and let the media vote. But my issue with that is not a lot of media know enough about the guys and the game to have a true opinion of who was the best. We just don't have enough media covering the game and covering it for long enough to understand the nuances to be able to make proper decisions in this regard. So the other option would be is that each team gets two votes and you can't vote for your guy. Simple. Well, simpler, I guess. Because it it's getting to the point where it literally is, I'm going to vote for my guy and then I'm going to throw away my vote and vote for someone who's not going to be able to give him a challenge. I've told this story before. I had a conversation with a general manager a couple years ago about who he voted for for goaltender of the year one year. And it was one of the years where I thought Aaron Bold was a shoe-in to win it. And he said he couldn't remember who he voted for, but he voted for one of the guys in his conference. And it blew my mind. They're basing votes on guys that are in their conference just to kind of keep the award on their side of the ledger. Which is completely mind-boggling. So now the next award that comes out tomorrow on Wednesday is the MVP award. And 
I'll let you in on a little secret. Lyle Thompson, Mark Matthews, and Corey Small are the three nominees. And all three are deserving. We're not going to get a bad winner out of this. Now, people will be upset if their guy doesn't win. I get that. But it's not like one of the three guys in there is an offshoot entrance, which is fine. But there was that defensive player of the year and the transition player of the year one were the two that really stood out in my mind. Brody Merrill won transition player of the year, which is great. Brody has been a long-time transition animal, probably one of the best players to ever play our game at his position, Um, one of the most talented guys in his position. But do I think he was the best two-way guy in the league? No. I don't even think he was the best two-way guy on the rock. So I, I truly believe something needs to be done about the voting system in the National Lacrosse League because... It's just like the voting for the Hall of Fame. It has issues that need to be fixed because we're going to continue to have incidences like we're having this year. We still don't know um, the nominees for the Hall of Fame class this year. We haven't even, as a media member, I haven't even been asked to vote yet. And so we don't know how that process is going to work out. The one hope that I do have is that they actually have a Hall of Fame banquet because they didn't have an awards banquet this year. And if you remember last week when I was doing this podcast, I said, because it's the information that I'd gotten from the league, that nominees were going to be announced. And there was no mention that the winners and nominees were all going to be announced on the same day, that it was all going to be webcasted, that it was all pre-taped. And done weeks ago. And I think that really upset a lot of people as well. Because while not a lot of people showed up to the Toronto Rock Athletic Center for the awards banquet and Hall of Fame ceremony, it was a pretty big night. An opportunity for fans and players in the area to come out and show their thanks and support and honor our game's top players. And we don't have that opportunity. So I hope that there will be an awards bank, or sorry, a Hall of Fame night, and that that'll coincide with the Combine, which they've done in the past few years. That's usually when the awards were being handed out as well. And when I asked the league why they opted to go this route with Tyson and Mia um, taping the awards show, quote-unquote, and they said it was because their mo- this is part of their move toward a digital platform and digital media, and this is the way they want it to go. It's another head-scratcher, but this is the, the direction they're going. That's why I fear that the Hall of Fame will be done in the same way. And I really hope that doesn't happen because, you know what, if you want to do the awards like this, fine. But a Hall of Fame ceremony should be a big deal. And so I hope that when the time comes, the powers that be rent a theater, do something. 
get out of the track. I know the track is an easy option because it's right there in Oakville. But rent a theater or a hall or something and make it a big production. Don't have guys in jeans and T-shirts. Make it a night. Make it a gala event. That's why I actually like the idea of having the Hall of Fame and the awards together around Combine Weekend. I didn't initially like the fact that we had to wait three months by the time the Champions Cup ended until the ceremony in September. It kind of bothered me at first, but once they packaged them together and did it with the Combine and made it a big gala event, I I was okay with it. And now it's gone. And I feel sad. Because it was something that everybody could get around. It could be the marquee event of the year once it was all done. So, the awards will continue. MVP comes out um, Wednesday. Then head coach, general manager, executive of the year on July 1st. And on July 2nd, the last award of the year is the Tom Borelli Award for media person of the year. So last week, we reviewed the Champions Cup um, and everything that happened during that wild and crazy game. Uh, But we never really talked to anybody from the Swarm. And so with the awards coming out, and Mike Poulin being nominated for Goaltender of the Year and winning Teammate of the Year Award on Tuesday, I figured, you know what? Let's get our old friend MP30 on the show. So I contacted him. He just so happened to be down in Atlanta. And so I asked him what the heck he was doing back in the ATL. I am down with the team. We are on a... uh bit of a publicity tour going around seeing all of our sponsors all of our supporters and uh and bringing the cup with us it's been a blast uh, yeah how, how is that going uh, obviously you know people will look at you know the the pictures from georgia and, and be like oh you know they didn't have a lot of fans and the support wasn't there but people really you know the, the niche people really rallied around that group and there's probably a lot of fans that are excited to see you and a bunch of the other guys and of course that champions cup trophy you know, that's just it. I mean, I'm the first one to say, look, the crowds weren't great down here. And I came from a place in Calgary where they were very good. We played in Colorado. We played in Sass where the crowds were great. So I, I saw what it can be. But the fans that we did have were extremely supportive. They were jacked about this. So, um, you know, we, just because we didn't have huge crowds doesn't mean that they don't deserve to, uh, you know, to – to have a little bit of a celebration with us. So mm-hmm. we are down visiting the, the, the big sponsors and our partners down here. We're bringing the cup with us, trying to build publicity for next year. And, and you really want to hit while the, uh, you know, while the flame is hot. So uh, we're, you know, I know our team has done a great job so far of, uh, of uh, season ticket renewals and they are, you know, they're calling right now, trying to get everybody on, uh, on board for next year as we're, uh, you know, we're still, you know, we're still the news down here. Mm-hmm. So what's the, what's the next stop on your media blitz? We are going to the Fan 680, which is the big sports uh, sports radio station down here. And you know, I, I'm from Toronto, where the Fan 590 is like Bob McCowan and yeah. uh, uh, you know, huge sports talk, and that's kind of the equivalent. And actually, they've really been supporters of ours down here. Where we're in a season where they're talking about the Falcons and the Braves. 
uh, you know, RIP the old Thrashers hockey team. <laughs> yeah, but they've yeah. Uh, they've been they've been really supportive of us. They've put they've given us airtime. They've talked about lacrosse. They've talked about our playoff run. So we're pumped to head in there and, and bring the cup and uh, you know drink some some bubbly out of it with them <laughs> and, and uh, you know and celebrate because they they've been huge for us. So we want to say thanks. How many drinks have you had of the cup? Do you think? Oof. Well, it's been 17 days. So, uh, <laughs> I've, I've had my fair share. Uh, that that first night, I like. I honestly don't think that there was a drink that I had where I just decided, I, I, I'm going to pour this one into the cup. Yeah. So the first night, you wait 12 years to win one. You might as well enjoy it. So uh, so I had I had my fun night one, and uh, since I've been back down, I, I honestly like I've I've been pumped to like. I've been the one to want to carry the cup or hoist it over my head for any picture opportunity because I'm like, hey, you never know when we're going to get this chance yeah. again. So I've uh, I've had my fair share. I'll put it that way. <laughs> we don't really need to put a number on it. Just let's say <laughs> less, more than 100, less than a million, somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm fine with that. Start. Yeah, okay, I'm fine sure. with that. Um, let's go back to that championship run because – it was a remarkable one from start to finish from the start of the year. You guys um, came out like gangbusters that first game of the year where you beat Saskatchewan and everyone was like, whoa, okay, maybe this Georgia team is for real. And, and you guys never really let your foot off the gas. And then it got to the finals with the rush. And I don't think I've ever seen anything as crazy as what I saw at the end of that game too in Saskatchewan. And, and I've heard all your press conferences where you guys all said that that morning at shoot around, you guys practiced that six on six, both goalies out kind of situation. Did you ever think that it would actually happen? No, no. Honestly, <laughs> we, I'll give you the full opinion of the goalie on the other end. Um, it, I, I still can't believe that, that that went down. Like we, I was Derek Keenan's goalie in the summer in summer ball. Yeah. And uh, we 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 do that move. We we pull the goalie up by one, you know. And uh, I, I was never comfortable with it, but I, I'm as a goalie, you want to give your coach, you know, full. I've got your back. Let's let's yeah. you know, let's ride or die. And so I'd never say a word. And if Eddie wanted to do the same thing, I'd I, I'd bite my tongue and and do it. But I mean, I hate it because I'm, uh, you know, I'm sitting there like, well, throw the ball to the far end, and they got yeah. five guys and a goalie. <laughs> yeah. But. Uh, so I mean, for things to wind up the way it was, like that's sports, and like our coaches, yeah. you got to tip your hat for them preparing us for that. But uh, but I mean, you never prepare for like, okay, what if we throw it to the wide open guy and then that guy bobbles? Like you just can't, yeah. you can't script it. It's just one of those things where it happened. You know, like we, I, I listened to your podcast last week. You brought up the '09 Man Cup. You, I talked to Jordan Hall about Ilya Geich running that ball back into his end. Yeah. And like, man, and Halsey said, all due respect to Ilya, he'd never, like, that's, that's exactly what we'd want him to do. He'd run that ball back. He would, he would, I'd do that 10 times out of 10. Like, it's yeah. not going to happen, like, where he drops that ball. And, and that 09 Bellies team will tell you that that's exactly what they would do again. Mm-hmm. In that 2017, Saskatchewan rush team is going to tell you, I have all faith in all of my guys to do it again. So yeah, uh, it, it's just one of those that happened. Like, like I, I think about finishes like that. I lost 2014 off an it happened moment, you know, like we yeah. played it right. And I let in a bad shot from Joe Walters on the, on the side and then Craig point on his run. Like you play the game 
and that's that stuff happens and the rush are going to stick by each other as they should because it's like man what can you say like <laughs> i'm pumped i was on the yeah. side of it yeah but, yeah, uh, yeah but man what can you do yeah, it was just a crazy finish, and, and you know, like I mentioned the podcast last week, all those things that had to happen for to play out like that. You know, yeah. the bounce yeah. pass from Jeremy to Corbeil, you'd never expect him to miss it, and he misses it. And then you wouldn't yeah. expect Lyle to miss an open net, but Jeremy somehow dives in front of it and saves it. And then, and then Whitey picks up the rebound and scores the empty net. And the place goes dead silent. And then overtime, you make the first save. And then, as the way it should have been, Lyle to Miles for the game winner. What was your thought when you saw that ball go past Boldy? Was just complete jubilation? Uh, I wish I wish there was a camera like on me <laughs> at that time because I dropped my knees. I was so just like, oh my god, we did it! Like I I must have like all of our guys. We said it a thousand times. Like we did it. I can't believe mm-hmm. we did it because uh, you know we this team. Uh, I don't know if anybody picked us in the preseason or, or uh, I don't think anybody. Yeah. Like I don't think everybody in our room, even at the beginning of the year, myself included was like, Hey, we're a championship contending team. As we, yeah. as we built, as we continued on, we, you know, we were like, wow, we're, we're doing something here. But uh, for this group of guys to, uh, to pull that off, we know the, the great record that we had, but we felt the underdog situation all year. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's uh, the moment when it went in, like you said, it couldn't have been scripted any better, Lyle to Miles, because uh, mm-hmm. our offense carried us this year, and uh, they say offense, or defense wins championships. Well, on the first one, as the goalie of that team, we put my hand up and say, uh, offense, I know <laughs> yeah. on that one for us. <laughs> yeah. So I'm super pumped that it, that it went down that way, because um, – this is their team, man. This is the Thompson yeah. brothers uh, show. And, and we are, we are a team in, in that sense that they're the first ones to be like, Nope, every guy is, is a part of this, but I'm going to sit here and say it couldn't have happened to better guys because they yeah. live and breathe lacrosse. And they, you know, in, in this, you know, seven month run, they, uh, they were everything that you, that the Georgia swarm, you know, wants to be. They, they were team guys. They represented the organization while they, they were in the ticket selling business just from, you know, trying to trying to build this product down here. So that being said, they were in the NLL building business. So I'm just so happy for them and, and for what they brought to our team. Is Lyle the MVP? Whew, yes. Yes. And, and here's my reasoning why. Um, he works harder in practice than anybody I've ever seen. Superstar. Uh, 25th guy trying to make the team. I've yeah. never seen anything like his work ethic. And I've been on teams with, you know, I've been on the Tracy Koleskis, I've been on Jim Veltman's, I've been on Bob Watson's, the hardest working guys. But I mean, he 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 wants to be the best, and he's the first. You know, he's going to say I'm not the best. I want to be like, he, no, he he doesn't say much. He, he's not even going to say that. He's just he goes out and he lets his work speak for himself and when you have a championship team and your best player is your hardest worker, mm-hmm. um, no disrespect to anybody else in the league, but he's by far the most valuable player. Um, is there going to be some, is there a fine for Jordan Hall for winning the sportsmanship award? Max fine. Max fine. Max fine. <laughs> uh, we have a team. Yeah. We have a team function coming up 
and uh, post-championship fines are all carrying over onto the team function, and yeah. everything's going on the blackjack table. <laughs> uh, but Halsey's already been told it's a max fine. Max and, uh, you know, he, uh, man, I can't say enough good things about that guy. So to get the chance to just max fine him, it just feels great. <laughs> um, and do you get any fines rescinded for being teammate of the year? Oh, Man, I mean, you is that a kangaroo court? Is that a kangaroo court thing? <laughs> no, you you just you just gotta shake my hand on that one. <laughs> no, uh, uh, probably, probably, no one's probably, yeah. I'm probably gonna get fined for it. I'm probably yeah. gonna, you know, max fine as well because uh, he, there's always something up his sleeve. But um, I'll be, you know, I'll be ready to put my twenty down on the table and say, all right, I'll take it. And, uh, yeah, it's it, it's pretty cool. I mean, I'm I was pumped about that one too. Um, Jason Noble gets a Defender of the Year award, and I think there was a lot of people who were kind of skeptical about that nomination and that nod. Um, but you were a guy that played behind him. What can you say about his play all year and why was he, why he was a deserving winner? Yeah, I'm I'm glad you asked actually because like. The IL indoor votes came out, and Jason didn't even get a vote. And yeah. I remember Ethan O'Connor and I were sitting down and, like, looking at that, just kind of talking about, like, not even a fifth place vote? Like, did he, like, I guess, you know, I guess he's just the uh, the yeah. underdog. Like, uh, we know how good he is in our room. Like, yeah. it's very rare our team has ever been, you know, our team was beat this year where it's, like, the right side went off. You know, that's Jason's side. He is our shutdown guy. And and I, I even kind of tweeted, you, like, you don't hear Jason's name very often. And in defense, that's a good thing. That means mm-hmm. you weren't exposed. It means you did your job and you didn't get beat. So, you know, we've got a team of those guys. Yeah. So we've got the Brian Coles. We've got Connor Sellers. We've got Joel Whites and uh, Mitch Belisle. Like, we've got a team of guys who don't really – blow your socks off but Jason's our leader he's our Mm -hmm. best guy he um you know he's quietly not quietly I guess he is probably the most irritating player for an offense to play against like Curtis Dixon jumped in summer ball the other night I kind of saw that and I was like yeah it makes sense he's pretty irritating but (laughs) it's because he's so good like yeah he strips guys he checks guys hard he gets under your skin he plays the you know the way that he does and um he he's just such a big part of our group and for, for him to get it like I'm so happy for him because he's the last guy to ever be like to ever want recognition to ever want you know to ever expect an award like this he just he just goes about his job like I talked to him uh at the beginning of the year Jason and I played for the Kodiaks together one year yeah this was probably like eight years ago and he was telling me like he was a pudgy kid I saw a picture of me at a Justin Bieber haircut and I chirped <laughs> him so hard and he's like, I didn't even make the midget one team. Yeah. He made Urbanum, it was midget Urbanum. He made midget Urbanum two team. Yeah. And his brother made Team Ontario. Jeremy always had the talent. Jay worked for everything he got. And I just remember listening and taking it in like, man, this guy is so underrated. Like, he's had to work for everything he's ever gotten. And, and yeah. I'll kind of throw a comparison out there like, uh, Brody Merrill's probably one of the most talented lacrosse players to ever play the game. Yeah. He's unbelievable. And Patrick has worked for everything he's mm-hmm. got. Yeah. And Patrick absolutely. is a stud, one of the yeah. best leaders in the game, and he's worked. 
and that's just like Jer- uh, Jason. Great. Jeremy yeah. and Jason are uh, the next, no- uh, you know, kind of Merrill Noble. There's so many mm-hmm. correlations there. Just uh, it's funny because one plays offense and the other plays defense. But man, they're like, I, I just kind of look at that as the exact same way. Like Jason yeah. has worked so hard. So for him to receive recognition like this, I'm just so happy for him. Yeah, it was it was a well-deserved uh, award for a guy that, like you said, doesn't get a lot of uh, recognition, kind of gets lost in the clutter of everything. Uh, before I let you go, I know you got a, you know, your big media guy down there in the ACL, <laughs> but are we ever going to see you back in Canada? Are you going to uh, suit up for some summer ball this year, or are you going to take some time off? Uh, I, I have all intentions of taking this summer off. Uh, yeah. About two months ago, I uh, touched base with Brooklyn, and I just kind of said, you know, I'd, want to have a little less wear and tear. I, I love the Redmond uh, organization, but uh, I'm pretty banged, <laughs> pretty banged mm-hmm. up right now and uh, kind of going to finish the season and take a couple months here to enjoy it and uh, in Kiel. So I, I have all intentions of taking this summer off and, and getting back into it next summer. But uh, it, it wasn't like a we won and, and I'm going to stop playing summer ball mm-hmm. kind of thing because I do love the, uh, you know, love to play and, I just uh, two months ago just kind of messaged them and said, you know, I need to uh, yeah. need to heal, so I, I'm going to lead you guys, let you know, so that you can kind of plan otherwise. And they were completely respectful of it, and I'll be uh, my plan and their plan is for me to be back out there next year. Uh, one last question before they go: uh, A year ago this time, uh, you were an unrestricted free agent uh, and made the decision to go down to Georgia. Was it the best decision you've ever made? Oh, baby, don't tell my <laughs> wife, but it was the best decision I've ever made. <laughs> I'll make sure she doesn't get a link to the podcast then. Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, Pooley, uh, congratulations on a fantastic year. I'm so happy uh, that you were able to lift that cup finally. It's been a long time coming. Couldn't happen to a better guy. And I appreciate all the time you've given us on the show this year. And uh, enjoy the summer off and enjoy Hotlanta. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it, and uh, I'll keep listening. Continue doing what you're doing for the sport of lacrosse. There he is, Mike Poulin of the Champions Cup winning Georgia Swarm. 12 years in the National Lacrosse League, finally gets his hands on the Champions Cup after stops in Toronto, Boston, Calgary, and now Georgia. And as you heard him say, not giving anything away to his wife or anything, but it was the best decision he ever made one year ago when he got the call from Eddie Como as a UFA and he signed with the Georgia Swarm on a three-year deal. And I think they are very happy with that signing and it could be the sign of things to come in years to come as this is a Swarm team that is built for the future and... They are going to be a force to be reckoned with as we move along because they're not going to get any worse. And they don't have a lot of UFAs or RFAs. They actually only have four combined. Uh, Alex Krepensek is an RFA. Brody McDonald and Johnny Palos are potential restricted RFAs. And Mitch Belial is the only UFA they have. So not a lot of work on the free agent market of signing guys and keeping guys under contract um, for John Arlotta and Eddie Como, but they could be busy in free agency. I don't expect them to, but you just never know. There are some interesting names out there. Um, When you go down the list of potential 
RFAs that are, are available. Steve Priolo, Dane Smith are all potential RFAs, but you'd expect them to get qualifying offers from the Buffalo Bandits. David Brock, Ryan Banesh, and Andrew Watt are three names from the Bandits that are UFAs. Um, some of the other UFAs that are possibly available, uh, Jeff Shatler, Creighton Reed, Curtis Manning. Um, the Mammoth have a few. Again, you have to look at free agency as a map. Split Canada and the USA right down the middle. And generally, wherever guys seem to fall on that line is the potential markets to where they're going to go. For example, Zach Greer, even though he's an Ontario guy, he has a young family living in L.A. It's not like the bandits are going to go out and sign him. He's not going to want to do all that traveling. They're not going to want to pay for all that travel. So you could understand that Zach Greer is probably not going anywhere other than sticking with the Colorado Mammoth. Now, some other names that are out there. I mentioned Mitch Belisle. Uh, Kevin Buchanan of the New England Black Wolves is a UFA, as is Evan Kirk and Daryl Veltman. Daryl Veltman's an interesting one because for a long time, everybody thought he was sort of the glue that held that left side together for the Calgary Roughnecks, and once he left, that side had a huge void. Well, he went to Buffalo, didn't really fit in, and ended up with the New England Black Wolves, and while he didn't have a great season, he's still very serviceable. As is Jared Davis, who's a UFA with the Rochester Nighthawks. Now, there's a Western guy that could easily get picked up by another team, especially out West, and slide right in and be a contingent and continual veteran presence. Aaron Bold is a UFA. He was a name that a lot of people have asked me about. Do I think he'll test the free agent waters? I don't because, one, he's a starter in Saskatchewan. Why would he go anywhere else? He's not going to be a starter behind a lot of guys, so he's going to stay there. He lives in Edmonton. That's a guy that's not moving. You look at Toronto's UFAs, Casey Beard, Sandy Chapman, Jeff Gilbert, uh, Pat Merrill, Brandon Miller, Rob Marshall, all veteran Ontario guys over the age of 32. They're probably not looking to relocate or play anywhere else. So, you know, the biggest group of bodies that have to be dealt with are on the Vancouver Stealth. They have almost half of their roster as RFAs or UFAs. Now, again, a lot of that has to do with um, contracts, ages, and we'll get to that with Doug Locker in a minute, and he'll kind of break it down. But, again, a lot of it is geographical. Most of the guys that are UFAs for the stealth are Western guys. So, like, BC Western guys, like, full-on, not even Alberta guys. And so... Free agency is always an interesting thing in the National Lacrosse League, and we never really see big splashes, but there is potential to see some guys make some moves. But again, it's most likely going to be um, interdivisional, not intradivisional, not going from a Western Conference team to an Eastern Conference team, unless those guys just happen to be guys that are doing a lot of flying. That's the only caveat. If a guy is a UFA and he's a Western-based guy playing for an Eastern-based team, a la Jarrett Davis, then you could easily see him signing with a team closer to home. So keep your eyes on it. Free agency begins on August 1st, but as of July 1st, this Saturday, teams can start trading players 
and make some transactions on their roster, whether they're moving guys to a holdout list or an active roster or the injured reserve or the pup list, whatever it may be. So July 1st, trades and roster transactions are allowed. August 1st, that's when free agency begins. And just to clear things up, should an RFA get an offer sheet from another club, the team that he is a part of currently has 72 hours to match that offer. As per terms of the CBA, if a team does lose an unrestricted free agent to another club, they could be eligible to receive a compensor, compens, let's try that one again, a compensatory draft pick for the following year. So with all that said, let's get to a chat with the guy who might have a lot of signing to do of guys, and that is Doug Locker. Those that you may not know, he just spent some time in the hospital, so our conversation starts with a checkup on Doug's health. Doing, doing well. It's, I've, I've been, uh, was in the hospital for 10 days, and uh, that, was, that was the result of a uh, kind of a mindless fall at home on, mm-hmm. in, in search of coffee one morning. <laughs> yeah. And uh, broke, broke some ribs and punctured a lung, and, and that was really the issue. So um, spent 10 days in the hospital and been home for a little over a week now and, and uh, starting to feel human again. So things are, uh, things are starting to get back on track. Have you sworn off coffee now? I don't think I could ever do that. <laughs> I'm certainly, I'm certainly, I'm certainly more careful in my quest for it every morning. I'll tell you that. I bet. I bet. Um, so now that we're getting, you know, the NLL season is pretty much over and done with a couple more awards uh, to get through this week uh, as we move along. And we're going to get to that in a little bit, but um, RFAs and free agent signing is coming up uh, and you have the most as the GM of the Vancouver Stealth. Is there a priority for you of guys that you want to get signed and, and how come it is that you guys have so many uh, guys that could be, um, you know, up for other teams to take a swipe at? Yeah, I think in terms of the number, I think it's it's probably just a, a function of, you know, the the group of guys that we have and and how we've acquired guys over the last few years in terms of some unrestricted free agents from some other clubs and, you know, just our our guys that have been with us for you know many many years that are now mm-hmm. now in that age bracket where. They either become RFAs or UFAs. Um, you know, I would I would say that really all of them are priorities, and and we've been working with them, you know, for the last little bit here between Jamie and myself. And um, over the next couple of weeks, you know, I'm I'm sure that uh, most of that will be be resolved. We're we're certainly not worried worried about uh, yeah. the status of those guys. And 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 does it help? The fact that most of those guys are Western guys who live out here and have families here does it does it does there any fear in your mind that you might lose any of those UFAs? No, I, I honestly say there's not a fear because I'm I'm confident enough in in you know I, I think really what it is 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 it's a, a function of the fact that I think organizationally we do a good job with with the players that we have I, I think the players that play here. Um, feel like they're well taken care of and, and they're in a good organization. And I think coming off of a, uh, the second half of the season this past year where we, where we had some success and started some of the principles that, you know, Jamie and Jim and the rest of the coaches had, had really been putting into place, started to show some, some fruit. Um, you know, I think it's, I think it's actually a real exciting time for those guys to mm-hmm. be a part of the organization. And, um, you know, most of those guys that were, that are on that list are guys that have been with us for, you know, in, in most cases, their whole career or large yeah. parts of their careers. And, 
um, you know, I would I would think that there's that, you know, that understanding between them and us um, and their affinity and loyalty to the organization that, you know, we, we feel pretty comfortable. And, and if somebody, you know, ultimately decided that, you know, they didn't want to be a part of the organization uh, for whatever reason, and I don't mm-hmm. expect that, you know, we would – you know, obviously, you don't want to have somebody here who doesn't want to be a part of the organization. But yeah, but but I think we do a good job, and I, I think the guys that are here want to be here, and and you know that's that's really what we want to see. Uh, three names that kind of stand out when just looking at the list of, of question marks that, that I kind of have. Um, do you expect uh, yourself or any other team to even think about putting a pen to paper for Rory Smith? That's a good question. I mean, in total honesty, I haven't I haven't spoken to Rory recently to know what his health status is. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that we would be very hesitant to yeah. put him in a situation where he would have to, you know, get back on the floor anytime soon without really being ex- extraordinarily careful about, you know, the health issues that are associated with it. Yeah. So, um in, in my mind, to be honest, Ted, I mean, I, I, I haven't really even contemplated the notion of yeah. Rory coming back, um, have not had a conversation with him, but I, I haven't had the conversation with him because I, in my heart, I probably just don't feel like it's, it's the right, the right, thing. The right yeah. move. Um, Garrett Billings, is he a part of the future of this Vancouver Stealth Club? Because he wasn't used much uh, in 2017 and, and you've gotten – uh, a boatload of righties on that side. It makes it very hard for him to kind of get back in the lineup. Yeah, I think, you know, Garrett's a special player, and, and Garrett's a guy that I think we want to sit down and have a conversation with pretty quickly to figure out what's going on with his life. And, and mm-hmm. he he had embarked on a on a career path with, with the Surrey Fire Department. Um, yeah. That probationary status is still kind of ongoing. So, now that he's been in it for several months, he's really just kind of finding out what he wants to do with his life and uh, whether lacrosse is, is a part of it, whether he's got the time and the, and the passion to, to really invest in getting back in. If he, if he does, um, you know, obviously he's the kind of player that, you know, has, has he, he brings so much to the game that you, mm-hmm. you want to have that conversation and see where it goes. Uh, the last name that, that, that a lot of people are curious, especially me, because I just haven't seen him. Um, on the floor a long time is Tyler Garrison. I know he's had a lot of hamstring injuries and and leg injuries just because uh, of maturing and growing up and his body just kind of wasn't ready for it. But what's his status? Is he healthy? And and is is he a guy that that could be back for next year? Hundred percent. He's uh, he's healthy and and is passionate about the game again. And and I think a large part of that is because he is healthy. Yeah. Um, you know, I know he's been working out extremely hard and and wants to wants to be back this coming season and we're real excited about that i I think that especially in the system that that we're now playing Mm -hmm. uh tyler tyler is a guy who really kind of fits that fits that style that we want to play yeah he's so athletic and still relatively young and, and does all the things you love so you know i'm i'm uh i'm real excited about the prospects of having him back in a in a stealth jersey this coming season he would look great running right alongside number 19, Justin Saul, who had an absolutely fantastic year, and it took everybody by surprise that not only didn't he win transition player of the year, but he wasn't even in the top three. Um, what were your thoughts when the nominees came out and when you heard and saw that um, probably the best 
two-way guy in the game right now wasn't even mentioned. Yeah, I, I, it's it's a tough one, Teddy, because you know I'm so respectful of the people who who are nominated and the people who do ultimately win awards, and and they're obviously there for for the obvious reasons that they're great lacrosse players and also had great years. It's just you know I look at a guy like Justin, and and it's hard for me to envision in my own mind how he's not you know, one of the three best transition players in our league and uh, with the kind of season that he had and, and all that he accomplished statistically. And, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it, it was shocking. I'm not, yeah. not going to lie to you. I was, I was shocked and, and uh, a little taken aback and, and you have to temper that with the whole respect thing is, is, you know, the, the guy who did win it is a, is an unbelievable lacrosse mm-hmm. player and has been in our league for years. And, um, you know, the other guys that were nominated all had fantastic years. It's just, let's face it, we, we're, we're all a little bit biased probably in terms of our outlook of our own guys. But mm. even when I pull myself back from that, I look at I look at the year that, that Salty had and, and the impact that he had. And, and it's, 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 a, it's a tough pill to swallow for him yeah. because I know that he, he, he was deserving. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think – the, the fact that he had so much support and, you know, belief amongst others, too, made it a, a yeah. little bit more difficult. Um, you know, he wasn't nominated. Matt Beers wasn't nominated, who was a, a consensus winner in the IL uh, Defensive Player of the Year award. Even Ty Blanger really wasn't considered for goalie of the year. And, and it brings up the question with there being an unbalance in East to West teams and each team essentially getting two votes. Does that hurt West players, do you think? Probably, probably does a little bit. I, 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 it, it, again, you look at a Belanger scenario and, um, you know, was he the goal, was he the goalie, you know, the best goalie in our league? I, I, I think you could, you could probably get into a debate on a number of different levels there. But, you know, the one thing you can't argue is he played virtually, you know, every single game and led the league in save percentage. And, mm-hmm. you know, you would think that that would, that would equate into at least being in the top three. Um, and then, uh, you know, the Beersy thing, the defenders are, are always a little bit more subjective um, and we all have our biases there, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think maybe the, maybe the way, maybe we do the voting, you know, is, is maybe it's time to really look at how, how those, how those votes are compiled and who votes yeah. and how we do it. And, and, at the end of the day, you just want the fairest possible process, um, and you want guys who have those breakout years to really get the recognition that they deserve and and have earned. And and maybe there's a different process. I don't yeah. know, um, but I, I I still believe that those you know all three of those guys that we're talking about were mm-hmm. were deserving of recognition. Um, you know, we, we certainly, you know, organizationally, and I think the vast majority of people who've seen, who've seen them play, you know, believe the same thing. And, yeah. you know, for the time being, we're just going to have to have to acknowledge that and say great year. And, you know, let's, let's, let's move on. Speaking of the year that the Vancouver Stealth had, it, you know, it was up and down. It was tough. It was easy. It was, Crazy and wild. I don't know if it was ever. I don't know if it was ever easy. <laughs> well, 
not easy in the terms of it's a cakewalk, but, you know, there's some easier decisions made than others. But th- this was a year where you guys really need to put your best foot forward, and uh, you guys got that home playoff game in just a crazy ending to the year in that game in New England. And then you guys play an incredible playoff game with Colorado, and, and, and the fans are out in abundance. What's the fallout from that? Is there momentum going into next year with fans and sponsorships and things like that to keep this stealth, um, you know, flag as high as it can be? Sure. I, I you know, I think I, obviously, obviously the whole second half of the season was, was huge for the organization mm-hmm. on a whole bunch of different levels. But yeah. um, those last three home games that we had at the LEC, which, which would include the playoff game with Colorado were, were, you know, I think pivotal for our franchise because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I truly felt for the first time that people were leaving the building as stealth fans rather than as lacrosse fans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, throughout the summer up until a couple of weeks ago when I haven't been out as much, but up until that point, the, the mood in the ranks, you know, in talking to people was just vastly different than it had been you know, in the previous three summers, to be right. real honest, I, mm-hmm. it, it was a real good, real good feeling. And, you know, people, people seemed proud of the fact that, you know, the team had been successful, um, had enjoyable experiences in the rink. And, and so I, I think there's been a ton of momentum, um, on the fan side of it. And mm-hmm. we've had, you know, I think some really positive conversations on the sponsorship side of it. And uh, really, really excited to to kind of see where it takes us into the into the 2018 season. So, what's on Doug Locker's summer schedule? Other than a lot of lacrosse games, uh, a lot of lacrosse games. Well, you know, we're we're uh, we, we've already been actively planning for for the season. You know, on the business side specifically, and um, those those planning sessions will continue over the next month and a half or so. And um, at the same time, I, I think from a scouting perspective, we'll, we'll continue to be very, very active. Um, and, and because of our situation with, uh, with draft selections, obviously our path over the next year or so is, is really based on free agency and, mm-hmm. and, finding those diamonds in the rough. So, you know, we we have people spread out all over the place, be it Jamie in the East, um, you know, now Millie Millie in the WLA and mm-hmm. and uh you know I think we're just gonna be be very, very active going to a lot of games looking for kind of those special guys that fit fit the style of play that that Bass and Millie and, and Clay are are really wanting to bring to Vancouver. So um, I, I don't see it as being a huge year for us in terms of a lot of player turnover. Mm-hmm. So we're really looking for for a couple of pieces. Um, you know, we like the group that we had, and, and especially, as you said earlier, like you, you add back in now a, a healthy John Lynch in the mix, and, mm-hmm. and you get him back, and you add in a Tyler Garrison to the mix. Um you know, you start to you start to get very, very good, you know, out the back end and, and we thought we made vast improvements there. You know, we love our left side. Um we need to stabilize the right side a little bit and um so so I would I would call it more tweaking than, mm-hmm. than wholesale changes. Um and, and and we feel like that's pretty accomplishable even with the limited draft picks that we have just because of the free agent market and 
um, the location that we're in, quite frankly. There he is, General Manager Doug Locker of the Vancouver Self, just talking about, you know, the second half of their season was where they really hit their stride. And, and once they got healthy, uh, they were able to put some pieces together and make a real push. It, it ended up in them being finishing second in the West and getting that home playoff game. Uh, those three last three home games that they had were, were incredible. Uh, the way they finished their season was fantastic. Obviously, they would have loved to have win that, won that game against Colorado and then gone on to face the rush in the West Final, but this is the process they're taking. It's taken a while for this process to actually come together, much like you know what's going on down in Georgia with John Orlotta and, and the picks and the trades that he's made to kind of get younger and, and collect those draft picks and now it's paid off. Well, for the Vancouver Stealth, they've kind of gone a different route. Um, they've focused primarily on getting free agents, guys that can fit into their system, guys that have some veteran abilities, and a lot of guys that are close to home. So uh, once they get healthy next year, if they can stay healthy, um, the Vancouver Stealth could definitely be a contender out west. The biggest issue they have, much like the Swarm, is just finding a way to get people to get inside the door. And now it's going to continue to be a problem for them until they can find the right mix of fan base, whether it's all across people, whether it's fans from across a variety of sports, whatever it may be, they need to figure something out quick. So that's National Lacrosse League news. Um, Still no announcement from the Colorado Mammoth. Expect that in the coming days. Um, of some news coming down the pipe uh, from them. I know word is starting to circulate um, of what is going on. Stay tuned. It could shock you to the core. However, there are still lacrosse games being played. Uh, Before we move on to uh, Senior Summer Ball, shout out uh, to U.S. Boxla and all the kids on the U.S. Box Tour that um, have been traveling around uh, through Ontario, uh, they've been taking part uh, against, you know, um, midget teams and bantam teams and peewee teams playing in some of the tournaments out there and having mixed success. Uh, I do believe there are some teams from Denver going up to the Calgary Canada Day tournament this week. I believe the Calilax All-Stars might be there as well. Um, then, of course, the BC Tour uh, is on right now with a bunch of young kids um, on the lower mainland. They were being coached by Kurt Miloski and Matt Brown earlier today. Um, So that's just another fantastic experience for a lot of great young kids. Just learning the box game and understanding what it takes to be successful indoors. And when you can be taught by some of the best of the best, it's only going to help their game. Speaking of the best of the best, out west, the Victoria Shamrocks lead the WLA by one point over Maple Ridge. They played a fantastic game on Friday with Maple Ridge coming back to win that game. Uh, then they would go up to Nanaimo the next night and beat the Timmermans. So they swept the island, got four points, and are just one point behind the Shamrocks. They play each other tonight on Tuesday. The winner of that game will be in first place and have won the season series two games to one. Burnaby and New West are one point back of Maple Ridge at 11 points, and then you have Nanaimo at seven, Coquitlam at six, and the Langley Thunder still sitting just on two points. Uh, with one win and seven losses. Corey Small is your WLA points leader. 
He has 20 goals and 31 assists. He's 16 points ahead of Mike Mallory, who is five points ahead of both Eli McLaughlin and Mike Triolo. Out east, well, it's, as we say, still a two-horse race. Peterborough, 8-0 on 16 points. Six Nations sits in second at 7-1, followed by Brooklyn at 5-4-1. Two points back of them is Oakville. And then Brampton, 1-5-2. They have point, four points. And Coburg still looking for their first points of the year. They are 0-10, as we talked with Stephen Stamp last week. Riley O'Connor leads the MSL with 59 points. He's 10 points ahead of Sean Evans, but he's also played three more games than Sean Evans. So um, I would imagine Little Levy will be surpassing Riley O'Connor sometime soon. But keep yourselves up to date by just going to pointstreak.com and you can find MSL and WLA stats abound. Before we go, let's get you this week's Subway Rankings. Brought to you by the folks at Lacrosse Talk Magazine. Uh, let's start in the Senior A loop. Peterborough jumped Six Nations, and they are now in first place. So Peterborough, Six Nations, Victoria, Maple Ridge, Burnaby, New West, and then Brooklyn. And in the Junior A loop, the top two teams haven't changed. It's Coquitlam, who are 17-1-0, followed by Six Nations, who are 14-1-0. New West jumped Mimico for third. Mimico is in fourth, followed by Brampton. Whitby, Okotoks, Langley, Burlington, and Orangeville. Remember, as always, I don't make these, so please don't shoot the messenger. Oh, speaking of messenger, I didn't talk about this when we were doing the awards earlier. Uh, Rookie of the year, uh, the three nominees were Kyle Jackson of Rochester, Tom Schreiber of Toronto, and Latrell Harris of Toronto. All three had fantastic seasons. Tom Schreiber was going to win this one hands down. Um, there was no doubt about it, and he did. And I couldn't have been happier for the guy. It is an incredible coup for an American to win that award. He's only the fifth one to do it, and the first since Ryan Boyle did it back in the early 2000s. There was no way he was going to lose that award. Kyle Jackson was a close second. But for Latrell Harris to get in there, not only, first of all, it's phenomenal. The kid's only 18, and he got in there. He has an amazing career ahead of him. But for Mike Messenger, not to get into the top three, again, just shows how much those 10 votes out east supersede the eight votes that are cast out west. Because in my opinion... Messenger was right along Kyle Jackson for second-best rookie of the year. Schreiber's in his own category. Jackson offensively was incredible for the Nighthawks. But what Mike Messenger did and the amount of minutes that he got and the goals that he scored in transition and just his overall body of work easily should have landed him in the top three. And it just blows my mind. And it just goes to show the unbalanced voting system that there is in the National Lacrosse League. I'll get off that soapbox for now. And that will do it for another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner. Find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar or email me 
teddy.jenner at gmail.com. We'll be back next week with more guests, more information, and maybe more dog parks. Until then, take a friend to a game. If you take a friend, take two. The more friends you have, the more fun they will have, too. Until then, be excellent to each other.